Hey there, chatters. I'm Nat. And I'm Kat, and welcome to The Crime Chat. I am your forensic femme fatale, Natalie, is your true crime addict connoisseur. We're just two normal girls who obsess about dark crimes, evil minds, and occasionally the unknown. Here's your disclaimer, chatters. The following crime <laughs> chat contains adult content and descriptions of, you know, interesting. We're going to follow up part two. So kind of violent, mysterious, just kind of very ugly scenarios today. We'll just go with ugly. So your listener Ooh. discretion is advised. Okay. Well, before we get into all that, Kat, what have you done? We've had a holiday so far. We, we did. So I was on my Thanksgiving cruise. And by the time this comes out, it'll be, I'll be home for weeks but okay. this is the first time that we've caught up since I've been back. And it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Didn't see any sharks on my dive. Fuck. No? No. I was but there so was hoping. turkey, right? You had turkey dinner. Yes. The ship had all that good stuff, all the jazz. All the, all the fixins. It was amazing. There's like, they and I missed it. They had a, a turkey carving. The day, Thanksgiving day, we were in Roatan, Honduras, and that was our dive day. So we were getting everything all ready, mm. and we went down to the the fifth deck or whatever, kind of waiting to get cleared so we can go ashore. Right. And we had just missed the, the turkey carving. I was like, oh. But they had a ice cart, like an ice carving out of a turkey. There was, it was decorated. It was done very, very nice. Oh, nice. Very yeah. nice. That's got to be cool. Everything done for you. No cleanup. No mess. But Go. I will tell you. What? Okay. We'll probably never do a big holiday cruise again. <laughs> Why? Why? What happened? The fucking kids. I love kids. Oh, yeah. I, I love my children. I love yeah. my granddaughter. <laughs> it depends whose kids we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they're, uh, and then they're just, they were just running all over the place. And mm. we didn't even think about it. Like the kids were going to be out of school, right? And, mm. you know, families were getting together to do something while, you know, kids were home from college and or what, you know, on break or, or whatever. Like, it, and it was just hectic. Yeah. Like on the ship. You know what I mean? So we stayed mostly in the adult only area. Uh-huh. And I can't tell, every day that we were out there, because they had their own pool, there was own, their own bar. We just like played card games and, you know, just kind of hung out and stuff. And it we stayed in the back of the ship, more further back in the aft mm -hmm. than we normally would. And the bar was like just a couple of decks above. So we'd literally go straight up. When we go to dinner, we'd go straight down. So it was like really convenient what kind of where we ended up being. Mm -hmm. So we would just, and it's like the kids kept getting kicked out of the pool. There's a sign literally that says adults only. <laughs> like this is an adult only section. And they were having people to come and like kick them out and stuff. But the, the thing is too is the kids area, like the yeah. teen and kids area mm. was a deck above. Mm. So they were just coming down going, ooh, there's a there's an open pool. You know, nobody's right. hardly in it. I'm going to go do right. a cannonball. They're doing, the kids <laughs> being kids. They're kids being kids. But yeah. there are but, cruises that are adults only. So you don't yes. have to. Yeah. But And that's what we like about princess cruises mm. is typically it's an older crowd, mm -hmm. not too many kids. It's just, it's more relaxing. Yeah. You know what I mean? You still can get a little party scene. You can still have some fun. Yeah. But it's not. And let me tell you something. <laughs> Watching a sixty-year-old get out there and do like the Macarena or the the um shoot, what's that song? The Wobble. What's the Wobble? It's hilarious. What's the Wobble? Never heard of that. Electric Slide. No. Yeah, I mean you got some of the older stuff, but like the um now I can't think of them. Like slide to the left. Oh, the right, oh, crisscross. That's not the Wobble, but the Wobble is is like a it's a booty dance. Like mm. so, and my girlfriend 
who was on the cruise with us, she, the one that lives in Florida, she, her husband showed me how to do it. Because anytime that song came on, he was like, yeah, he literally like beeline for the dance really, <laughs> yeah. It's like his, that was like his dance song. You know, shout out to Jake. That, that's the first, the first time I've ever heard of that, like whole dance routine, the wobble or whatever you, you're going to call it. Yeah. It was in Florida. Mm-hmm. It, it's not, it's not known where it was. Like in New York, we didn't know anything. We barely knew the Macarena. I would say I was at a club uh-huh. at one point when it first came out and everybody in the, on, mm-hmm. in the club was doing the Macarena. Okay. Other than that, <laughs> you... the very first time I heard and learned the Macarena, uh-huh. I was on a cruise ship. Were you? <laughs> But anyway, so we're back. Got all Christmas mm-hmm. done. Nuts. I'm d- 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 done. Like decorations, check. Really? Gifts, check. Broke, <sighs> check. <laughs> yes. And I've never done this early. And even by the time this episode comes out, mm-hmm. it'd still be kind of early. Mm-hmm. But I'm like done soup soups early. Really? And yeah, mm-hmm. it was like, well, I mean, why not? Oh my know. God. <laughs> I, I'm just not I guess you know it's hard right now for me because I'm kind of functioning between three different residences oh you are yeah so yes. it's like I have the bulk of my life like clothing and stuff in my condo yeah and then I have the second part of the bulk and like the, like the stuff that you go through every day in the house that I'm living in now mm-hmm. and then in the new house I, I, it's, it's just, it's, so I, I had Thanksgiving in the new house. I was just going to ask you, did you have it in the new house? How did it go? It was good. Good. But it's very hard organizing a Thanksgiving meal and not having, you're not technically in your kitchen. Like you're, you're in like a, an away kitchen. So everything was (laughs) fine. But yeah, it's like, I, I had to sit there and say, this spoon. Do I have an extra spoon in the new house? Like, you know, like yeah. shit like that that you would never think yeah. that you just think you have. And I, the, yeah, so. Yeah. But. Well, what else? I mean, you had a good Thanksgiving yes. at all. You know, other than juggling and everything like that. Yeah. It's been, yeah. I, other than that, we're going to do Christmas Eve at the new house. Mm-hmm. I am not going to cook like a crazy person. Good. After this Thanksgiving. You know, when I said I didn't do it for four years and I'm like, <laughs> do I miss it? Do I not? I don't know. Let me try it. No, I don't miss it. I don't miss it <laughs> You're like, at all. I have it. Right. So at this point, like I've told everybody, if I have a Thanksgiving, it is going to be a potluck. Like, I'll do the turkey. Yeah. You're bringing a side. Yeah. I'm not doing all the sides. You bring something, yeah. and then we'll do it that. We're all adults. Not like we have a bunch of kids running around, you know. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, I don't know. Yeah. Have you watched anything? Have you done anything else? I went shopping today. I mm-hmm. did try to go Christmas shopping, but... Like always, normally I get there, I'm like, oh my God, I like that. I like that. And I ended up shopping for myself, but. You went crispy shopping. Yeah, I went crispy shopping. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, like I've, you know, this is also a busy time for work because mm-hmm. the, the, just the company that I work with, they do a lot of charity work during this yeah. time. So mm-hmm. my time is like, like tomorrow, the next day, tomorrow we're planning Christmas party and then we have our company Christmas party, and then we have our party that we fund. It's just so, for the mm-hmm. community, and it's just wait. Ugh. Didn't you get sick last time after Christmas? Mm-hmm. I was definitely yeah. sick last Christmas. Yeah, I could not yeah. leave my place. I had like I went from COVID to pneumonia. I and I, I know it took me months <laughs> you, to recover. Oh yeah, so take care of yourself. I'm trying protect yourself. Yeah, I, I got sick from my company party. Yeah, mm. yeah, I'll be wearing a mask. It's not happening again. <laughs> no. Not happening again. No. And I, well, 
strangely enough, the last several times I've gotten back from any vacation, mostly a cruise, I've gotten either the flu or COVID. Mm. I'm good. You're good? Yeah. So now <laughs> I am looking behind you. Just, that's adorable. <laughs> we got Squishy and Nuggy. Yeah. And they are got a crime chat reading. You know, mm-hmm. their podcast is down in the little reading file in business mm-hmm. class of right. a Boeing 777. They got double leg room for two things that do not have legs. Well, <laughs> well, Squishy's got a couple of tentacles, but they're short. Where are they heading to? Hopefully they'll get there. Anywhere they want. <laughs> they're heading to dreamland. <laughs> But I thought, you know, we had the cockpit last time and then we talked about putting Squishy and Nuggy in there. So we got them. They're riding in the plane behind me on the screen. That is so cute. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. So where's the scary clown? Oh, I did not get him. (gasps) He's the pilot. He's a pilot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who knows if the plane's going to land. It's destination then. (laughs) All right. Well, I can't wait to get into part two of this. I really can't. Yes. So we're going to just jump right in. Okay. This is going to be a little bit of a longer part. I know I kind of, where I ended it, it just made sense last week. But today we're going to talk more about the theories Mm -hmm. and what some people believe and why they believe those theories. You know, chatters, you let us know what you think. Yeah. Let us know what you think. So today we're going to go over the second half of the two-part series We're covering one of the greatest mysteries in aviation history. Probably the greatest mystery in aviation history, to be honest. Uh 239 lives were presumably lost when Malaysian Airlines flight MH370 disappeared off of radar, lost all communications around 1.20 a.m. on March 8, 2014. The search for the missing plane would be the most expensive search in aviation history. Partly, in fact, because they didn't know where to look. We talked about that a little bit last week. Yeah. The plane not only disappeared off radar, but it was also off course. Initially started searching in the South China Sea, then where its last location was. And then they moved to the Adamant Sea and then the vast southern Indian Ocean. Mm. The plane was so off course that authorities had to consider the fact that this was a deliberate act. Mm-hmm. Four and a half months after MH370, on July 17, 2014, we kind of talked about this last week too, Malaysian Airlines flight MH17 took off from Amsterdam and was shot down by a surface-to-air missile over Ukraine, just over the Russian border. It was confirmed that Russian military intelligence commanded a Russian army unit to shoot the plane down. The Ukrainian president called it an act of terrorism. And MH370 is now potentially maybe an act of war if we now have two planes mm-hmm. potentially with Russian involvement. Yeah. Malaysian Airlines hadn't had a significant incident since the 1990s and now within a span of a few months lost two huge aircraft. They were identical, by the way, both Boeing 777s. And on the MH17, there was nearly 300 people on board. Was it a coincidence? Was there a connection? And this is kind of where we picked up from last week. So, okay, we're searching. The search team is in the southern Indian Ocean right now. Mm-hmm. And this has been continuing and mostly relying on the Australian government because technically it was in Australian waters where they were searching. Okay. So it had a lot of Australian government and assets involved. Overall, there were 43 ships and 58 aircraft with 14 different countries all coming together to try and find clues as to what the hell happened to MH370. The area they were searching was huge. 
far larger than the continental United States itself. They were searching for not just a needle in a haystack, but they were trying to find where the fucking haystack yeah. even was. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, according to search teams, it was very difficult area to search. You could hope for, you know, like, like a nice, flat, soft plain, but there were underwater volcanoes. There were mountains that were larger and wider than the Grand Canyon, all underwater. And the weather was appalling. Waves reached 24 meters or up to 72 feet. Wow. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Grief. Yeah. And I've seen some of the video of, you know, the search teams and stuff out there. Mm. And it's just insane. That shit's scary. Mm-hmm. Okay. One year later, they're still looking for the plane. Malaysian authorities took the brunt of the blame and perhaps even being listed as incompetent in inability to answer anybody's questions about where the plane was and what happened to it. So this is still continuing for a year. Theories by this point were bouncing left and right. Speculation was rampant. Hijacking. An insurance scam. A meteorite hitting it. Aliens. Korean officials took over the plane. The only clue that they had was the Inmarsat data that concluded it ended in the southern Indian Ocean. Uh So just a a reminder from last week, Inmarsat is a satellite system where... It had equipment on board that was pinging to a satellite once an hour. Mm. And the only thing that this equipment did was to say, hey, airplane, are you still there? Ping, yes, yes, I'm still here. And it did that for six hours. So the eight in the morning ping was the last one. And essentially, that's also when it would have been estimated to run out of fuel. The nine o'clock in the morning ping, nothing. Mm. So Le Monde is a French daily newspaper, and this newspaper decided to revisit the story acknowledging the one-year point since the plane went missing. The fact that nothing was tangible, nothing was credible, was had been found to this point, and if you remember last week, the captain was essentially made the villain Mm -hmm. in the story. Yeah. Investigative journalist, her name is Florence DeCheney, she specialized in Asia-specific area for about 30 years, so she's very knowledgeable of this area. And she personally wanted to get some of her own understanding about Captain Zahiri and kind of who he was. Mm -hmm. So the first theory is the pilot did it. Zahiri was extremely experienced. He had been doing it for many, many years. He had a great reputation. It was very evident, too, that what was done not only was deliberate, but it was aggressive and it was sophisticated. Malaysian police raided Zahiri's home and removed a home flight simulator to see if, by chance, he had done the same route, like the erratic route had been done on a simulator to kind of practice it first before actually doing it to see if it was rehearsed. Mm. Now, amongst the fog of unanswered questions, the clarity of who controlled the plane lied in Jeff Wise's theory, the pilot. Jeff Wise, if you remember, he was a New York Times kind of contributor. Mm -hmm. He's... A journalist specializing in aviation, adventure, psychology, both print and online. He's been in the news. He was kind of listed as like a a guest in a lot of the news coverage for the story. Mm -hmm. Now, he decided he needed to figure out if it was a mass murder-suicide and if it was the type of planning that went into it. He had to paint this picture, basically, of what happened that night and how he put it all together. This is his theory. So shortly after 1 a.m., Zahiri is flying over the South China Sea, making their way to Beijing, routine red-eye flight. At this stage, MH370, if you remember, are being handed over from Malaysian air traffic control and airspace to Vietnam. Right. Yeah. So there's kind of that gray area in between. 
it's a gray zone is actually what he called it between the two areas of air traffic control. So maybe, Jeff Wise said, maybe he asked the co-pilot to go to the back and get something or, hey, can you go check on this or that for me? Co-pilot closes the door, Zahiri locks it. He implements his plan, turns off all the electronics that make the plane visible to the outside world, and it vanishes from radar. And at that moment, everyone else on the plane has no idea. They just think everything's routine, passengers are doing their thing, going to sleep, you know, the mm-hmm. flight attendants are serving drinks or doing whatever. Mm-hmm. But then, maybe co-pilot comes back and realizes that he's locked out of the cockpit. So now Zaheer probably will have a hard time keeping control of the plane. Mm-hmm. Maybe he started to depressurize the cabin. And the oxygen masks drop. Passengers are confused, don't know what's going on. Most people don't know this, but the oxygen masks only last about 15 minutes. With the air? In an airplane. Mm-hmm. Really? Most people don't realize that. But the captain and the pilot, theirs actually last much longer. They have a more sophisticated oxygen supply. So soon, the entire cabin's quiet. Zahiri turns the plane around to the south, flies straight into the darkness, waiting for his fuel light to run out. And after about six hours of flight, the engine stops. He pushes his nose down, sends the plane into a dive, and MH370's gone. Mm -hmm. Now, if this theory is true, Jeff stated that this actually had to be the sequence of events necessary for Zahiri to be in complete control of the plane. There have been a handful of cases where pilots have decided to, you know, do mass murder-suicide uh-huh. and kill all the other passengers, but not a case that had taken six hours to complete a mass murder-suicide. So maybe it mu- mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't Zahiri. Maybe right. maybe this wasn't the thing. The French journalist Florence Ticheney, she found that as people were looking into him, the pilot, Captain Zahiri, there was a very consistent and hostile campaign against him looking into his private life, looking Mm -hmm. into his mental health. There were also accusations that he might have had some political motivations to disappear the plane. He was a fan of a gentleman named Anwar Ibrahim, who was a leader of the opposition party from Malaysia. Mm -hmm. And he attended Anwar's pro-democracy rallies and meetings. People were asking, did he purposely take down the plane to make a political statement? However, while it's possible... There was no message whatsoever left. Not a political note, not a suicide note, nothing to his family. So the more Florence looked into Zahiri, the less she found to actually substantiate this claim. Zahiri had a YouTube channel also. He put up self-help videos online, like how to seal your windows, how to fit your air conditioner. And in her opinion, from all the research that she did, he was not an extremist. Next, what Florence did was line up interviews with Zahiri's family. So she went and talked to his older sister, and she described him as a gentle, caring person. And the sister was obviously upset at the loss not only of her brother, but also distraught because she had to endure all this insinuations that Zahiri was responsible for the disaster. Right. Now, if you also remember in part one, Intan Othman... She was the wife of one of the crew members on board who was also a Malaysian Airlines flight attendant, but she hadn't been flying because she was pregnant at that time, so she wasn't working. She said that Captain Zahiri was known as one of the best pilots, and many Malaysian Airlines employees don't agree with these accusations. Crisis Director Sharjui also knew Captain Zahiri, and he was very offended personally by the accusations, and he said Zahiri was the utmost professional. There was no way that he could have done this. And even though, like, we see, we hear that sometimes, like, people, you never really know what's going on with somebody. Right. yeah. 
But as far as Florence con was concerned, based on all of the information she gathered, she basically said Zahiri wasn't guilty. It was like false accusation. And, and people, I think, too, at this point, just wanted someone to blame. Yeah. Yeah. A year later, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Up until this point, search is still continuing solely based on the Inmarsat data. That is the only evidence that they have. That's it. It's just where the Inmarsat data likely led them to based on math and right. analytics. They had no plane. They had no, they have, they have nothing. They have nothing. It's crazy. Now, the Malaysian government actually would not release the Inmarsat data in full until about a year later. They actually did. So inside the report was a paragraph that said the Inmarsat piece of equipment that controlled the communications with the satellite mm -hmm. had been turned off when all the other communications had been turned off, but then it was turned back on. Not only did they lose all the communications, but this had to have been requested to be turned back on from inside MH370. Right. As all other communications are off. Super weird. Yeah. So to Jeff Wise, this changed everything. If you wanted to turn a system off and make the plane disappear, why would you want to turn it back on again? Any any part of the equipment. Mm -hmm. Maybe there was something wrong with the MRSAT data. Maybe it was tampered with. It's possible. Most airline pilots are not actually trained to manipulate the equipment. And it, airlines don't want them to do it. Like, they, right. they don't want them to know how to do it. Right, right. There's, there's no on-off switch in the cockpit. The 777 uses electronics for everything, and all of that lies in the electronics bay of the plane. In there, you can turn off the system. That's the only way you can turn it off. That Like, there's no control in the cockpit or anything. Mm -hmm. It has to go down into the electronics bay to actually turn it off. So how do you access it? Anybody can. It's crazy. Okay. There's an unlocked hatch under a piece of carpet near the front of first class cabin, right here. Right. Right in front of those seats. Right. That anyone could actually pull up the carpet, lift up the electronics bay hatch, and go down in the electronics bay. So you don't have to be in the cockpit. You can just be a mm -hmm. passenger who knows exactly where that is, mm -hmm. and maybe a hijack, working with a hijacker that's doing their thing, and then your partner goes down, does all this, maybe on his way out, kicks Ooh. the switch back on. <laughs> maybe you're onto something. <laughs> oh, okay. Skishy. So, so maybe it was may skishy. <laughs> <laughs> These are, they're conspirators right here yeah. behind me. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe it wasn't the pilot after all. Maybe somebody else manipulated it. But this oh. is also another point that I found freaking weird, okay? While they're figuring out the electronics base shenanigans, someone only identified as Mr. B had connections to Secret Services and reached out to the French citizen Ghislaine Watrelos. Remember, his whole his family, his wife mm -hmm. and his three two kids were yeah, on that board. Poor, that poor guy. He was a French citizen that was actually in Beijing for work. His family was coming to visit him in Beijing. When Ghislaine and Mr. B first met, the very first thing that Mr. B told him was the Americans knew full well what happened. There were two American AWACS monitoring the area at the time that the plane disappeared. Now, you give me the look. The look. I'm going to tell you what AWACS is. Yeah. <laughs> an AWACS is an airborne warning and control system. It's part of a Boeing E3 Sentry aircraft derived from the Boeing 707 frame airliner. Mm -hmm. It provides all-weather surveillance, command control, communication systems, and you've seen it before. I, I guarantee it. It's distinct by the rotator, the dome. It's called a rotodome. Oh. On top yes. of the fuselage, yes. Yes, I've seen that, okay. Yeah, so it's an airborne warning and control system. It's called the AWACS. 
Now, Mr. B said these two planes must have perfectly tracked MH370 regardless of its state at any point in time, so they knew exactly where it crashed. They know where it is. Mm. And just just saying, not only was he in disbelief that the Americans would be involved, but he also had a feeling that he and other families were being lied to by the Malaysian government, and he just absolutely had to do something. So he accepted every interview that he could to say that they were being lied to. They needed help from journalists to find the truth. And he started coordinating with other family members of the lost loved ones. They were coming together to conduct their own investigation, try to get answers. And since no information was coming from Malaysia, like they knew that this was risky because they are a group of essentially citizens going up against the government. So the families pushed for charges to include an act of terrorism against the Malaysian government. Simply because it was the highest level of charges that you could get for judicial matters. And this mm-hmm. is, and so Ghislaine actually filed for these charges in France. He and his lawyer felt that they owed it to everyone who lost somebody, especially those who don't have the ability that they do in France. So in France, when you press charges, Judges are automatically assigned, mm-hmm. and they have to investigate. Yeah. There's no time frame on it. Yeah. They wow. have to find out. They just want the truth, mm-hmm. right? So French journalist, Florin Cheney, she also wants to hear what Ghislaine has to say. And so they, they met, and he told her that he had been approached by a senior member of the intelligence service, Mr. B, who told him that Americans knew exactly what happened and that the two AWACs were also involved. Now, Florence met with Mr. B herself, and she felt that he was a credible source and a genuine member of the intelligence community, like he had his, he'd been vetted or verified, essentially. And this was just another voice to Florence saying that the truth of actually what happened to MH370 was completely different than the official narrative that the Malaysian government was spitting out. Boy. So even though the French were saying that the Americans were involved... After the events of the shot down MH17 by the Russians, Jeff Wise was then thinking, maybe the Russians are involved. So, theory number two, hijacking. Mm. You were on it. (laughs) (laughs) Inmarsat also originally theorized that the plane, if you remember, the plane could have gone north or south. Mm -hmm. The military radar caught the plane doing a complete U-turn going back over the Malaysian peninsula. Mm -hmm. The Inmarsat data on its pings... They couldn't tell until it was fully analyzed if it went up north into like Central Asia or if it went down into the Indian Ocean. Right. After the analysis, they were saying, of course, that it went to Southern Indian Ocean. So what if somebody aboard the plane who was sophisticated enough to change the MRSAT data and make it look like it went south when, in fact, it actually went north? It turns out that on Boeing airplanes, it is physically possible for the data to be manipulated. Maybe this is an alternate explanation. Uh-huh. So if the plane went north, based on the final Inmarsat ping, it would have ended up in Kazakhstan, a poor country, Central Asia, not necessarily capable of a sophisticated hacking attack, uh-huh. but Kazakhstan is a client state of Russia. Jeff Wise also concluded that his prime suspect was that the same intelligence services who were responsible for shooting down the MH17 in Ukraine were also involved with this MH370 disappearance, Mm -hmm. potentially linking the two incidents. Now, if you look into this theory and compare it with the manifest, there were three Russians on board the plane. In fact, comparing it to the seating diagram, like he did all this work. This Mm -hmm. is not like this is all his work. 
One of them was sitting about 15 feet away from the unlocked hatch of the electronics bay. Mm. Super easy to get to, like access-wise, right? This is his scenario. This is a basically saying, if this theory is possible, this is what had to have happened. So here it is. Okay. February 28th, 2014, eight days before MH370's disappearance, Russian troops landed in Crimea and carried out an armed invasion. When MH370 happened, it took the media attention off of the invasion and onto the disappearance. Now, wow. in essence, a reverse information warfare campaign. Mm-hmm. And Russia was being condemned internationally by this invasion. MH370 was the perfect distraction. Yeah, I believe that completely. I totally believe that. And you know something? <laughs> I also believe that America could have could have known where the plane was. But mm. how can we get involved? Like, also, you're expecting Americans to get involved in possibly a situation that could have been in a created a bigger situation. Like, I love how people are like, oh, the Americans knew. Maybe we well, knew, but we couldn't do anything about it. We are involved, but that's coming later. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> So if this actually happened, if Russia used this as a reverse information warfare campaign, take the eyes off the prize, nothing to see here, this is the scenario that should have happened on March 8th. 1.15 a.m., Zahiri's flying over the South China Sea, dark, cool, calm night, passengers are tired, anticipating an overnight flight, you know, it's a red eye, give me a couple glasses of wine, <laughs> let me put my mask on, I'm out. Right. The three Russians aboard begin their operation. Somewhere over the South China Sea, someone is making a ruckus, like there's some sort of distraction up in first class or or maybe towards the back of the plane, and the flight attendants go to see what's going on. Nuggy got As drunk. This happens. Yeah. Nuggy, <laughs> yeah. Nuggy got drunk. <laughs> <laughs> or the one, I told you about the guy when I was flying to Kuwait where he puked all over himself. Yes. Oh, God. Oh. Nuggy. <laughs> that, that was a distraction. <laughs> that would have been a perfect distraction. Oh. So flight attendants go, see what's going on. And as this is happening, one of the Russians, the one that's sitting in first class, slips forward, opens up the carpet, goes into the electronics bay. In the hatch, there's banks of electronics, which is basic. This is the brain of the plane. Mm -hmm. This is where all the things happen. He plugs into the computer's flight systems control, and the plane moves closer to the edge of the Malaysian airspace. Now, once they get notification that, you know, we're signing off, MH370, good night contact vietnamese mm -hmm. so in that gray area people on board still have no idea what's going on what's happening but inside the electronics bay the russian agent turns the equipment on and the plane vanishes from radar he now has complete control of the aircraft none of the communication systems are working even more shockingly the plane suddenly banks violently left making that u-turn mm -hmm. a maneuver that neither one of the pilots would have commanded but in the electronics bay, the Russian agent has started to depressurize the airplane, letting the air slowly out of the cabin, turns the knob of an oxygen bottle stowed in the wall, which cuts off the emergency supply for the pilot and co-pilot. So their extra supply yeah. cuts that off. The flight crew suddenly realize they can't breathe. Within minutes, everybody loses consciousness. Wow. The Russian agent in the electronics bay has turned the plane northwest and deliberately changed the data on the Inmarsat system. Now, if anyone looks at the trail of the digital breadcrumbs the plane is about to leave behind, they'll misinterpret the signal as meaning the plane went south when, in fact, it actually went north. MH370 continues onward into the night, receding gradually from its phantom twin. Mm -hmm. I love that part. When I read it, I had to include it. <laughs> receding gradually from its phantom yeah. twin. 
and ultimately winding up over the central deserts of Kazakhstan. Now for the hijackers, this is mission accomplished. Is that too far-fetched? Mm, no. That theory. It, yeah, I mean, it, it, that there's a lot there, but no, I don't think it's, I don't think anything's too far-fetched. Prove it to me. Right. <laughs> Prove me it's <laughs> Prove not. Prove me it's not, yeah. right. So Jeff Wise, it's like, I know it's, I know I'm going to get a lot of backlash for this. Like, I know people <laughs> are going to think I'm crazy. From Snook? No, 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 just. Snook? Snook. No. <laughs> not from Squishy. No, Okay. <laughs> Rest in peace. <laughs> they didn't go down yet. And you know what? If they if that plane goes down, Squishy's just going back home. The ocean. That's right. It's Nuggy. Going to the ocean. Nuggy's yeah. going to get soggy. <laughs> I know that's a soggy nugget. <laughs> but Jeff Wise did bring attention to the theory and got a lot of backlash. Mm. They, they were like, no, nah, man, you've lost your mind. <laughs> Including his own people. Now, if you remember, he was part of this group. So he started doing this blog originally. Then there was a lot of communications back and forth on the blog. And they created their own independent investigation group called the Independent Group. One of the members, his name is Mike Exner, very intimately familiar with how the plane worked and was absolutely certain the plane turned south and not north. And he was actually shocked that Jeff, who was in this group with them, would even consider this theory that the data was manipulated. So Jeff got kicked out of the independent group. That's a bitch <laughs> move, Mike. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So the crisis director, Sharjui, he confirmed that, yes, anybody can get into the hatch and disable the transponder, disable the communication system, but it is absolutely impossible to fly the aircraft from the avionics compartment. Okay. So... With that being said, while it's impossible to fly from the electronics bay, it is possible to get inside and turn off all the electronics that make the plane visible to the outside world. If, in fact, the data was right, and it told Inmarsat where the plane was, how come they haven't fucking found it? <laughs> exactly. As simple as that. <laughs> then debris starts showing up. <gasps> After a year, over a year... A small French territory island in the Indian Ocean called La Réunion. Mm. It's just east of Madagascar, off of Africa. Mm -hmm. They found themselves on the map, this little island, in the world news. A piece of the plane's wing called the Flapperon, the one that goes uh, goes up and down. Right. Like t for wind and stop or you know, fast, slow, whatever. Mm -hmm. It was found on the rocky beach of La Réunion. It was discovered July 29th, 2015, and then transported to Toulouse, France, where it was examined by France's Civil Aviation Accident Investigation Agency. The debris was determined to be consistent with a Boeing 777. Malaysia sent their own investigators to both La Reunion and to Toulouse, and on September 3rd, 2015, a year and a half after the flight disappeared, they confirmed the serial numbers found on the internal components of the flapperon linked it, quote-unquote, with certainty to MH370. Now, this was huge. Uh -huh. Huge. This was the very, a year and a half later, the very first, other than the Inmarsat data, evidence of something. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, with certainty, how, how can they actually be 100% that this piece... Uh -huh. Is from that plane. It's from that plane, even though it had the same serial number. Yeah. I don't know. But, plane, but, but this is planes, Don't planes, like, get... They also, like, their parts are kind of, like, harvested out to other planes. And also... They can be. Can yes. it be planted? Mm -hmm. Oh! <laughs> okay, yeah. Oh, my God, I got into it. <laughs> okay. Give me chills. Sorry. Okay. 
It was huge news, especially for the independent group. And if you recall from last week, this group was made up of pilots, engineers, scientists, lawyers, people familiar with how the 777 works. And Mike Exner, the guy that said that Jeff Wise got kicked out, said, mm-hmm. quote, this was the first hard evidence that the plane went down in the Indian Ocean, end quote. Because what they did is they looked at how the current would have moved it. The, yeah. The debris would have floated and they estimated based on wind, waves, current, mm-hmm. and they had like a mathematical calculation of where debris would have shown up. So with this in mind, the debris also reinforced the theories that the independent group had been advocating that it was in the southern Indian Ocean. Okay. And it also confirmed the Inmarsat data. French police then conducted a wider search. Now remember, because La Reunion is a French territory, so French police conducted a wider search of the waters around Reunion with the hopes that more evidence would show up. They found a damaged suitcase that could have been linked, never was confirmed, to MH370. It would have been consistent with the models of the debris dispersal. Is, uh-huh. That was what I was trying to say, the debris dispersal. They also found a Chinese water bottle and an Indonesian cleaning product in the same area. Not really hard evidence. Like, you can't really... Eh. Right. But late February 2016, almost two years later, an object bearing a stenciled label of no step was found off of the coast of Mozambique, about 1,200 miles southwest of where the flapperon had been found the previous July. You know, you know when you look out on the plane in the window, you see the little piece that says no step? Yes. Like it tells the people working on the plane, like, don't step on this. Yeah. So that's basically what it was. It was a little piece that said that had that no step. Okay. Early photographic analysis did suggest that it could have come from MH370's horizontal stabilizer or from the leading edges of the wings. This was confirmed when Australian authorities examined and identified the piece. Now that this is back in the news again, American adventurist Blaine Gibson went to Mozambique and to Madagascar and found nearly 20 pieces of debris that were considered quote-unquote high probability to have come from MH370, and including the piece that had the no step on it. Uh-huh. The most significant piece that he found was a frame of the screen that is located on the back of the seat, like in front of you, mm-hmm. the screen, the frame that has the screen inside of it. So he found the frame. Uh-huh. He's basically was like a modern day Indiana Jones, kind of like trying to find all of this information. Mm-hmm. So when this hit the news that Blaine Gibson found more, a gentleman named Liam Lotter came forward with a piece of debris that he found on the beach in southern Mozambique. It was in the news again. He's like, I think I found a piece too. You know, I'll turn it in. Mm. It was flown to Australia for analysis. It carried a stenciled code 676EB, which identified it as being part of a Boeing 777 flap track fairing. Don't ask me what that is. (laughs) And the style of lettering actually matched the stencils used by Malaysian Airlines, concluding they were, quote unquote, almost certain it came from MH370. So March 7th, 2016, more debris is found, possibly from the aircraft. It was found on reunion. Ab Aziz Kaprawi, Malaysia's deputy transport minister, said that, quote, an unidentified gray item with a blue border might be linked to 370, end quote. But both, both Malaysian and Australian authorities, according to the search in the southern Indian Oceans, sent teams to verify whether or not the debris was from the missing aircraft. Uh-huh. March 21st, 2016, South African archaeologist Niels Kruger found a gray piece of debris near Mossel Bay, South Africa, that had an unmistakable partial logo of a Rolls-Royce. Rolls-Royce is a manufacturer of the aircraft's engine. 
So it had like the little logo, partial logo of Rolls-Royce that was identified on this piece of equipment, Okay, essentially. So it looked like it could have been part of the aircraft's engine. The Malaysian Ministry of Transportation acknowledged that this piece could have been that of an engine cowling. An additional piece of possible debris suggested to have come from the interior of the aircraft was then found on the island of Rodriguez, Margaritas, sure, Margaritas, I don't know, <laughs> in, in late March. Then on 11th of May 2016, Australian authorities determined that two additional pieces of debris were almost certainly from Flight 370. So... You know, anywhere between a year and a half to two years. Yeah. Like all of these pieces of debris are starting to arrive. And that's partially because of essentially where the, the model for the debris, like mm-hmm. basically they said, if the, if the MRSAT is, is correct, in this area right here is where we think MH370 went down by the models showing where debris would have floated to, uh-huh. these are the areas that you can probably go and look okay. for to see if debris washes up on the beach. So essentially, that's what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Taking, you know, an year and a half to two years, finally making its way. Yeah, yeah. That's where Nuggy and Squishy are going. They're going to the island of Margaritas. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> or just say Australia. Australia. <laughs> Let's go to Australia. I'll go diving in the Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> <laughs> okay, more, more debris. June 24, 2016, the Australian transport minister said a piece of aircraft debris had been found on Pemba Island off of the coast of Tanzania. It was handed over to authorities so the experts from Malaysia could determine its origin. 20 July, Australian government released photographs of the piece saying it was believed to have been an outboard flap from one of the aircraft's wings. Malaysia's transport ministry confirmed on 15 September that this, this piece of debris was indeed from the missing aircraft. Mm. November 21st, 2016, families of the victims announced that they would actually carry out a search of their own to find debris in December 2016 on the island of Madagascar. By November 30th, five additional pieces of debris were recovered between that time frame Mm -hmm. on the Malagasy coast and believed by victims' relatives to have been actually from MH370. All the pieces have been handed over to Malaysian Transportation Minister. Now, with all the discovery of all this debris popping up, Mm -hmm. the families of the lost passengers had to face the fact that their loved ones were not coming home. Yeah. While most of the family members did succumb to this horrible tragedy, others still didn't believe it. One of them was Intan Othman, the Malaysian Airlines flight attendant whose husband was on board. Mm. Her initial reaction was, quote, who planted it there? Who brought this piece there? Wow. End quote. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when the debris was found, it discounted the hijacking scenario that Jeff Wise laid out, wherein the MRSAT data was maliciously altered, indicating the plane might have gone north, like ended up in Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan, otherwise like Kazakhstan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When clearly it did go south. However, he still hung on to the theory that if this happened, the Russians would have planted the debris. Yeah, I kind of think that. Kind of. Now, if this is true, this actually would not be the first time that Russia planted false aircraft debris to mislead investigators. You know what messes me up is that I, for what you just said there, like, I kind of feel like that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. And also that Mr. B, Mm -hmm. I think he was a Russian agent trying to change the the narrative, throwing in in the Americans. Like, it was the Americans. Don't look here. It's the Americans. Like, they did it. You know, I didn't even think of that. 
but he kind of comes up again later. So okay, okay. So hold on to that. So <laughs> okay. the previous incident where Russia was known to have planted false aircraft debris mm-hmm. was in 1983 when Korean Airlines Flight 007, I love that, zero zero seven, had 269 people on board and was in flight from New York to Seoul, Korea, and they were they went through Anchorage, Alaska, and Tokyo. The Department of State said that the plane was shot down near Soviet Sakhalin Island. I don't know what that is, but Japanese monitoring the plane essentially showed that Soviet jets were controlled from the ground when they shot the plane down. And as Americans and Japanese were actually looking for the black box and looking for the wreckage, the Soviets planted, and this was known, that they planted false acoustic pingers on the seabed to mislead their efforts. So if it happened before, mm. is it possible that it happened again? Mm. So Jeff Wise in his investigation found links between Russia and the American adventurist who found a majority of the debris, Blaine Gibson. Uh-huh. He, <laughs> he was able to pull registration records that showed that Blaine set up a company with two Russian business partners in the early 90s. And Jeff also found that Blaine was in the Soviet Union when it collapsed and was fluent in Russia. Oh. <gasps> Oh, uh, okay, okay, all right. Ghislaine Watrolos, the French citizen, also found the story of Blaine finding most of the debris. He, he thought it was odd. Blaine spent only two hours on the beach before finding the very first piece of debris mm-hmm. on a deserted beach in the middle of nowhere, conveniently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So, and, and also an English-speaking news media outlet was also there, catching this on tape. Very suspicious, very suspicious. And what yeah. what was the name of that person, that special agent that they had this weird interaction with? Was that Mr. B? That was Mr. B. Mis- yeah. Like, like so Blaine? Just Blaine? No. Oh, oh no. <laughs> I doubt. No, no, no. no. Well, Blaine actually also has been, and I can't remember if I put it in here or not. Yeah, I have it up here real quick. In the Netflix documentary, Blaine retorted this accusation and said, quote, I very much doubt that Jeff Wise would go on Netflix and accuse me of being a Russian spy. Mm. He has absolutely no basis for that. And he knows that it would be very serious defamation, end quote. And he said that he was accused of other ridiculous things that were horrible but laughable. And he like to include being a spy, a sex trafficker, a human organ trafficker, all kinds of things that he was being accused of. So don't know. Now Jeff Wise didn't have any solid proof that Blaine was connected to the Russian intelligence or actually planted the debris. But others were also suspicious of Blaine, including just Lane, mm-hmm. was Florence, the French newspaper reporter. She gave she called him the king of debris. <laughs> <laughs> She gave him zero credibility to what he found. And when you look at the debris, they said that the pieces were highly likely to be part of this. And when they said highly likely, it meant that they were not able to 100% confirm to prove or disprove that it was part of MH370. That's basically they're guessing that it's possible. Mm -hmm. Now, authorities had confirmed that the flaperon was part of MH370, the first piece of debris, because it had the serial number on it. And she was very eager to look at that in detail. The more Florence dug, the more she found. The flaperon was missing an identification plate. There is a metallic part that should have been on the flaperon. And it's either riveted or glued on with a very specific resin. Mm -hmm. And it's expected to withstand pressure, atmosphere, humidity, heat, cold, and stay on. Now, Florence found that there was only one reason that this identification plate was taken off. 
and that's when a plane is dismantled. So the fact that the ID plate was missing was a huge red flag. So did the piece actually come from a dismantled plane? Did the piece of the flap around come from a dismantled plane? Because mm. there was no ID plate on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I think it came from like a plain junkyard just to, just to yeah. kind of, yeah. Oh. Was it planted? It was planted. <laughs> Investigators then tried to look for other reference numbers to identify where the debris came from. Serial numbers from the flaperon were sent to the manufacturer to search, like, through their records. And in all, investigators sent 12 separate numbers to the manufacturer. Of the 12, only one actually was found to be a match, and that was 3 Foxtrot Zulu Golf 8-1. Was this enough to establish, beyond a reasonable doubt that this flapperon was in fact MH370's flapperon. Despite that possibility, the official narrative was that it was confirmed to be part of MH370. Right. Prime Minister Najib Razik conducted a press conference and said, quote, it is with a heavy heart I must tell you that an international team of experts have conclusively confirmed that the aircraft debris found on Reunion Island is indeed from MH370, end quote. There were other things confirming that this was a piece of the missing aircraft, such as the same paint that was used when it was tested, and that it was in the only crash in the area. Ghislaine Walteros, however, felt this proof was weak, and he wasn't convinced. December 2nd, 2016, a thousand days since MH370 disappeared, groups of family members of the lost passengers went to Madagascar with Blaine to go find the debris. Now, Danica Weeks, her husband was on board, Mm -hmm. and she was Team Blaine. She's like, I think it's unfair how he's being treated. As a family member of somebody who has lost somebody, she felt his intentions were good, and she was happy that he wanted to continue to look for more debris as long as he could. This is like independent investigation and searches and stuff, but the official search continued for a couple years. In trying to locate the final resting place of MH370 in the 120 square kilometer area of the southern Indian Ocean. The longer they searched, the more certain they felt that they would find something. Like something. Mm -hmm. Anything. (laughs) Anything. Peter Foley was the lead of the search team. He met with the next kin and assured them that they were going to do everything that they could to find the aircraft and bring the loved ones home. They just needed to persevere and they needed to continue. Just Slane, however, felt that there was no way that they would ever find it. Aww. He didn't even he didn't think the plane was even there in the southern Indian Ocean. Yeah. Aww. Now, at this point, there's still no answers as to what happened. It could still be the pilot. It could still be hijackers. Mm-hmm. Then... A new report comes out suggesting the pilot who flew MH370 did, in fact, fly a similar route on his home simulator just a month before it went down. So if you remember, Captain Zahiri had a flight simulator in his home. Yeah. And it was taken into evidence. Like, they went and pulled the hard drives and everything. It's not uncommon for pilots who really love to fly to have home simulators. Right. But if he did fly the same route that was on the simulator... That was the same route the MH370 flew. How is it possible that he's innocent? Like, it's circumstantial, but mm-hmm. really. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's shady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the hard drives that were collected, they were collected as evidence by the investigators. And then... One thing, though. So th- this evidence came out 
a thousand days, like you said, after the the plane went yeah. missing. We're about to get to it. And they're okay, okay, okay. Yep. <laughs> you are on it, girl. <laughs> I'm, I I like the story because I'm learning so much, and I have not. Just so you know, I refuse to watch the documentary after until after you tell me the story. <laughs> okay. So the hard drives were collected, and they were handed over to the FBI mm. as soon as it was. So if you remember, it was with was in the. It was within at least a month that his home simulator was taken as evidence. Right. Two years later, there's a report. Mm. Hmm. Through the thorough analysis of the hard drives by the FBI, they were able to find data points. The data points were from a simulator that indicated the plane flew a route up the Malacca Strait and then down. So making that U-turn uh, over up the Malacca Strait and then down into the southern Indian Ocean. Right. Until the fuel ran out. And on the simulator, it would have been estimated at the same area where Mm -hmm. MH370 was assumed to have run out of fuel. Mm. And now a lot of people thought this was going to be the smoking gun. But Mm. the analysis also determined that the simulated flight path that was actually manually changed, perhaps by a manual override or a mouse click. So basically, Captain Zahiri repositioned the simulated flight path by moving his cursor moving it on the map, and ending it in the Southern Ocean. So he didn't actually fly this on the simulator. He manually moved it. Okay. Which is even more odd to me, personally. I think that's even more funky. I don't even know what that looks like, so... (laughs) Well, I have pictures. Okay, okay. I'll have pictures of the uh, suspected flight path that MH370 was in Mm -hmm. compared to Zahiri's simulator. Okay. So I have a, there's a picture, it's going to be on the Patreon on there. But he didn't, so he didn't actually fly this route in the simulator. He just put it there with his mouse, essentially. He didn't fly it. Like, there was no data to, to show that the simulator was ran. Mm-hmm. It was like a, like you take your mouse and you kind of click. It's like when you look on a map mm-hmm. and you click on something on the map. Yeah, okay. You don't actually drive there. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, okay. That's kind of, if, if th- that's kind of what it's going on. Okay. So he didn't actually fly this in the simulator. He just put his mouse there. He just ended his, you know, a practice flight there. Mm -hmm. And this turned out to be just hundreds of miles away from the search area. So is this a matter of they're seeing what they want to see because they want an answer? Mm -hmm. Still, it's quite odd that you would have a flight simulation data manually added or otherwise changed that would end with fuel exhaustion in the middle of the southern Indian Ocean. Right. I just think that's so freaking weird. It is weird. Now, these this flight simulator he had at home, this is mm-hmm. set up like a personal PC yeah. with like maybe a couple of monitors and it's like a driving, mm-hmm. like you're pretending to go mm-hmm. somewhere, right? It's mm-hmm. a, something like that. That's not... It's, yep. Now... With these pro, is this like, is this a a program that Malaysia, the Malaysia uh, airport could see on the back ends of what he was, no, this is a personal thing. It's all private. Private, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, yeah. So why would they wait two years to release this information when they really had it so early on? Mm. So Ghislaine, remember he was the one that met with Mr. B, was extremely suspicious now, and he thought the FBI was up to something. No, not those guys. Not, never them. (laughs) He theorized, once again, that the Americans were involved. Now, what did the FBI do with the information for the last two years? Both Ghislaine and his lawyer felt that Malaysia was the scapegoat, that the FBI shared the information with Malaysia, and they both just decided to keep it quiet. Mm. The Americans led the investigation with Malaysia. 
the British were locating the plane with the Inmarsat data, and the Australians were leading the search. All of these countries were working together mm-hmm. as if they were saying, and this is just, what Ghislaine was thinking, like as if they were saying, nothing to see here, move on. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like they're giving it a good old college try, mm-hmm. but you don't see anything here. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so as an investigative journalist, Florence and mm. others were just expected to believe what authorities were saying in their official narrative. But there was no proof. They had nothing. They had nothing <laughs> of what they were saying. The official narrative was that MH370 flew over six countries in six different airspaces, Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, Singapore, and eventually Australia, yet not a single one of those countries were able to produce radar images. Oh, bullshit. BS. Despite, yeah. <laughs> despite the fact that Malaysia said they saw MH370 do a U-turn, right? The Malaysian Air Force said they saw it on their military radar, the plane did a U-turn, and it flew back over Malaysia, but they've never actually, sh- they said it happened, but they never actually sh- shown it Mm. Mm. the evidence of the plane doing the u-turn now maybe by now they actually have because they had some things like on the documentary and some other images and research that i've seen unless that is just the official narrative that they're saying right i don't know it's hard to say but the key elements of the investigation basically are just what is being said and not based on truth so why would anybody Mm. actually believe the official narrative and there's nothing to back it up no and also that that flight simulator that they held for two years couldn't they manipulate the information on it, sure. the FBI, to be like, look, let's prove that there was a U-turn. Let's prove and create. Well. They could do anything, right? I mean, they're the FBI. Well, we're going to kind of get into oh, a okay. bit more okay. of that. Okay, all right. <laughs> so Florence found another interesting point that MH370 supposedly flew over an air base called Butterworth. Oh. It's in Malaysia, but it's under Australian command. So it's an Australian base in Malaysia. They flew over this airbase. So the fact that a rogue 777 flew over an airbase without immediately triggering some sort of response, interception, jets in the air. I mean, sh- the bases that I've been to. Yeah. Whoo, you get those. They're there on. And this is a, like when you when you say airbase, you mean like a military airbase. Yes. Yeah, military airbase. Yes. N- named Butterworth. That's named a great Butterworth. name. I love it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but there should be some sort of alert. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But nothing happened. And if it's go, if MH370 flew over, if they're telling us that it did a U-turn and flew back mm. over this Australian base in Malaysia, mm-hmm. and nothing happened? Mm. Like, yeah. all of this, in addition, there was a huge military exercise going on in the area at the time of MH370's disappearance to include the United States. An incredible concentration of military power. So this, like, big joint exercises are absolutely huge Mm -hmm. i don't know if you've ever like they're just they're huge yeah so one of these was going on in the area an incredible concentration of military power in this region and then a boeing 777 goes missing (laughs) now so florence said quote it's even more inconceivable that we would lose it on such a highly monitored region of the world Mm -hmm. end quote so the only information now that they have still found credible was the inmarsat pings like yeah. How? Why? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. so she looked into Inmarsat, trying to figure out a lot more about Inmarsat. They have a specific branch called Inmarsat Government, and this provides services to the militaries of the biggest powers in the world, including the United States. And Florence alluded that the data provided by Inmarsat could have been engineered or fabricated in order to provide a cover up of what truly happened to MH370. And in her opinion, MH370 never turned around. It never did that U-turn. 
So whatever happened, it happened in the South China Sea. Now, if you remember, last week we talked about the lady who found debris. Yeah. Cindy Hendry, she was a, they're called Tomnodders. Right. Basically, they use this Tomnod platform to view high visible or high resolution images. Mm -hmm. And within days of the aircraft disappearing, she lives in Florida. She was online and she was trying to help. So if you signed up to be a Tomnodder, you would get a certain region Mm -hmm. to look at. And you would just look at picture after picture after picture of black or you know ocean and nothing but she did find some evidence of debris if you remember from last week cindy searched in that area the more she found and she was certain this is where mh370 ended up in the south china sea just off of vietnam Mm -hmm. if you remember from last week she tried to share as much information as she could after the malaysian government announced that the plane did a u-turn and they were they were going to remove their assets from the south china sea right then move it to the southern and she's like no no don't do that i found debris i found debris (laughs) florence knew this, found that Cindy had discovered this debris, and she contacted Cindy. Cindy told Florence that we need to remember that there was an oil rig worker that found that he saw a fire in the sky that night in the South China Sea. The Cathay pilots also said they found a large debris field in the South China Sea. So Florence then told Cindy that she had talked to several other people and they were saying the same thing. And Cindy was just one more person to add Uh into that there must have been a cover-up of some sort that night. So Florence decided, uh, she's looking into it. She's looking into the theory and began looking at the cargo manifest. So, I mean, if if it went down in the South China Sea, if there was some sort of military interference that's not part of the official narrative. Right. Why? So she looked at the cargo manifest. There were two and a half tons of electronics listed as things like walkie-talkies, radio accessories, and other things like that. That was loaded onto MH370. Now, this equipment was delivered plainside without being screened, and it was under escort. What type, what kind of equipment was this, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's public knowledge. Remember, they were going from Kumala. Or, yeah, Lamampur to Beijing, mm-hmm. it's public knowledge that China is very eager and does everything they can to acquire highly sensitive U.S. technology and surveillance equipment, such as, like, stealth drone technology. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that this was in the middle of what actually happened to MH370? Florence also has a theory. And as she theorized that the U.S. basically might have found out that MH370 was actually carrying this technology in its cargo to China and did their utmost to stop the cargo from arriving. Uh. And then she remembered what Ghislaine told her, that the information from Mr. B, that the two Airwax planes were involved, Florence found another source, a former U.S. Air Force member, who said that the AWACS jamming capabilities are phenomenal. (laughs) And that's when she realized that the AWACS had the capability to completely jam MH370's communication system, making it disappear (gasps) from radar. Really? So now she, she, now she has a technical explanation of the how and the why that maybe for MH370 might disappear. So she put together this theory mm. called the intercept. Oh my god, give me chills. Okay. <laughs> March seventh, twenty fourteen, eleven twenty p.m. Passengers get you know you load yeah. about an hour before the plane on international flights. So the electronics cargo then is also loaded onto the plane mm-hmm. under escort. Without being scanned, Mm -hmm. the plane takes off as planned March 8th at 1241 a.m. And as it's reaching its cruising altitude, 
This is when we know that the captain called in to inform air traffic control that they've reached their cruising altitude. Everything's completely normal. 1.19 in the morning, MH370 was asked to be turned over from Malaysian air traffic control to Vietnamese air traffic controllers. Mm -hmm. This is that space of no man's land, mm -hmm. that gray area. No contact at all with air traffic control. This is a perfect moment for an interception to take place, according to Florence. It's possible in that moment that the two AWACS move into action, jam the MH370's communications, mm -hmm. making it disappear from radar. Now, MH370 cannot communicate. Maybe it received an order from the AWACS and that told Captain Zahiri to land. Right. Turn around. Land. Go to, go to this place. Do something. Yeah. Yes. Wow. If Captain Zahiri, maybe he declined the order. Uh -huh. And maybe the captain continued to fly his route to Beijing. Tension would have been very high yeah. and increased as Zahiri basically refused the orders, right? So as the MH370 approached Chinese airspace, the AWACS had to back off. They couldn't fly into Chinese airspace. Mm -hmm. As difficult as it might seem, they still needed to stop the cargo from entering China. Mm -hmm. So Florence, she thought there might have been a missile strike, maybe a mid-air collision, mm -hmm. and maybe... That's where MH370 met its fate. Yeah. Florence admits that this sounds incredibly far-fetched, that it does have some loose ends, but she thinks it's much more closer to the truth than what the official narrative is. So what do you think? I, I think she's right. So what if Florence's theory of the intercept happened mm. and the pieces of the plane were then planted? I think that's probably what happens. You do? I do. Yeah. I do. Because you're right. Because you know what? You know, it... We're too sophisticated not to know where this plane is. We're too mm -hmm. sophisticated. Nothing can be, nothing can disappear on this earth. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. And yeah, it, I, I don't know. I don't know. The other day I watched this show, Where the Oceans Disappear or something like that. It's like a history mm. documentary type of thing where sunken ships and yeah. planes that are in the ocean kind of thing. They, they are, with technology, are able to remove like the water mm -hmm. so they can get like a look and stuff at it. So they tried to do this for MH370. Well, of course, they can't find the plane, so they don't know what it looks like. Right. But there were some interesting theories also that they included on that. And one of the individuals who was doing the search for it did a search on several other ones where they found planes. And they kind of did a model of this other crash on what it would look like. I think it was a French airline yeah. that went down that they were able to recover. But and he was also working on the MH370. But he... <laughs> They, of course, they can't find it, so there was nothing, you know, on there or whatever. But it was really interesting also to watch that one. I got to check that out. But I think, I think yeah. she's on to something because think about it. The U.S., our air and sea capabilities are unmatched. <laughs> and the bottom line is if there was something of significance on that plane – then we needed to prevent it from getting it to its destination. Mm -hmm. And we did do something like that where we had to neutralize it, right? Mm -hmm. Who's going – at that point, Malaysia's holding the red hot potato saying, mm -hmm. I know what happened here, but I cannot say the U.S. did it or I'll be at war with the U.S. Mm -hmm. Australia's going, the U.S. is my friend because I ain't going to need them. Mm -hmm. Everybody else is saying, we're not going to call out the U.S., if they did something, we all got to kind of be a united front. I could see that freaking happening. I could totally see that happening. It's possible. Listen, I don't know. Listen, listen, if something, if you did something, I would be like, I didn't see a damn thing. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, know. I don't know. It's over there. It's over there. I don't even have to tell you what happened. You're like, I'm, I'll be there and I'll be there and I'll bring my shovel. Right. Right. <laughs> did, did you not see that Russian run by it? That was that Russian run. <laughs> well... Blaine Gibson, the American adventurer who found most of the pieces of debris, actually disputed mm. Florence's theory. 
If MH370 did in fact go down over the South China Sea, there would be debris all over the area, he said, with the South China Sea, the Gulf of Thailand, and it would mean that the radar showing the plane that turned around was wrong. Maybe it was manipulated. Uh-huh. And that the Inmarsat data was wrong. Maybe that was manipulated. But basically denying... So Blaine was saying that Florence, with her theory, is denying that all of this evidence exists. Could all of these countries come together and conspire a cover-up? There's a lot of countries involved. Somebody might talk. I think somebody is talking. But I think <laughs> I think, uh, I think the powers that... Uh, the, the major powers at play here, I mean... You know what it is? It's 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 like you when you want to hide something, you hide it in plain sight. Sure. It's like it's right. there. The information is there, but who's gonna point the finger? Not one country is gonna point the finger. Right. <laughs> because the bottom line is, you still the adversary is China. Yeah. You know, so it's I mean, a communist a, country. I don't know. Now countries are allies. I mean, I I'm know. having a half life just thinking about it. <laughs> Wars have been started over. Right. Exactly. Over disputes. Yeah. And nobody wants to do that. So the official search ended uh-huh. initially, January 17th, 2017, almost three years after its disappearance. And they only said that it was stopping until further credible evidence was found. They said that they was they would suspend the search. But basically, it was it was expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And they're kind of, I don't, I mean, and I sympathize, I guess, or empathize with the family members. Like, you want closure. Yes. But at the same time, I don't like I don't know that if that would ever. Yeah. You know what I'm saying like. Well, it's I don't like know that we ever get any. I don't. They're by now. I mean, they're not gonna have a body to bury. No, it's it's terrible. But it's almost like Area 51. Mm-hmm. We know it exists. They won't admit it exists, but they it's literally it. right in front. Well, recently, <laughs> like I mean, like for her, as long as this, at one point they were like, we don't know what you're talking about. It's an enormous place. It's yeah. there. Yeah. They, and and it's just so secret. Like, yeah, they can hide things that are just in plain sight. And it's unfortunate because this, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's terrible. Well, well I mean, what, what, what would you think if it was hijacked and then taken hostage? That would not be a better outcome mm-mm. at this point. Mm-mm. Yeah. Peter said the one that was the lead of the search yeah. out in the southern Indian Ocean, he said that he felt that they let the family down. And felt bad that they actually had to suspend the search because they didn't find anything. Mm. And he felt his his team let the families down. So July 2018, four years and four months later, investigators released the final report of the investigation. And it said the plane was airworthy. It like all, it met all the checks. Mm. The pilot was also very competent, had no signs of stress or behavioral changes. But it said they cannot rule out any unlawful interference by a third party. Yeah. So they basically said that kept it wasn't Captain Sahiri. They, they said they're not able to determine with any certainty the reasons that the aircraft went down and why it was so far from its flight plan. They don't know why. Well, that's the official narrative. Mm. <laughs> but this is frustrating to the families that yeah. not that no one is able to answer any questions, at least publicly. And uh, Intan Offman also said that at least when they came out with the report, it was a good thing that Captain Zahiri was no longer being accused. Yeah. That for bringing down MH370. Ghislaine also said it was obvious that it wasn't the pilot. He didn't think it was Captain Zahiri either. And he added that the good thing about the French judicial system is that 
they can't stop. The Malaysian government might have stopped their search, but they can't. the French judicial system can't stop their investigation. They're not allowed to stop until they find the truth. And he said, if it takes 10 years, then it takes 10 years. Wow. Good. Yeah. So March 2019, in the wake of the fifth anniversary of the disappearance, the Malaysian government stated that it was willing to look at any, quote, credible leads or specific proposals, end mm. quote, regarding a new search. Dutch-based Frugro and an American company, Ocean Infinity, said that they were ready to reserve. They actually, in 2018, did do a search with no findings, mm. but they were ready to resume on a no-find, no-fee basis, mm. okay. believing that it would benefit from the experience that it had gained from its search. Argentinian submarine called the ARA San Juan and a bulk ship carrier called Stellar Daisy they gained a lot of experience since they initially tried to look for MH370, found these other items in, like, in the deep sea. Mm-hmm. So they got a little bit more experience. And then they were planning to continue on their next search either 2023 or 2024. That's the last I saw. The Ocean Infinity Company, that's the same company that was on that documentary that I watched where the, the ocean, like, when the waters disappear or whatever yes. that documentary is called. Uh- yeah. That's Ocean, ocean Infinity was on there, too. Now, the only thing that can be reasonably determined from the disappearance of flight MH370 is that it was an intentional act. Part of the mystery is the actual location of the plane. It's tangible. It's real. Mm. It actually exists somewhere. It doesn't just disappear. No. The other part of the mystery is who did it. But that we may never know, mm-hmm. at least in the unforeseeable future. Yeah. Are there people out there who actually know what happened? I think so. Mm-hmm. Somebody knows something. But oh, yeah. for now, the families remain hopeful, and the families do deserve to know the truth. Yes, they do. Rest and in peace. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I have a follow-up question. So, okay. So obviously, yeah, there were, there were pilots flying those AWACS. 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 They were, mm-hmm. they were flying those AWACS. So, they, of course, there were people that know. But the phones, the cell phones on the plane, I remember mm-hmm. early in the story, mm-hmm. story part one, you said that they did have like a phone call. Somebody got a phone mm-hmm. call saying, but then they missed the call or something. Yeah. The AWACS, mm-hmm. can they scramble those, those signals as well? They scramble everything. Can they scramble everything on that plane? Like, you can't ping it no matter what? Because I'm assuming if you call... I don't know. We should we should, we should, should call this this lady and ask her, or write, write her a letter and say, hey... I don't know. But isn't that, like, curious? Like, how powerful are these AWACS? Like, how powerful are they? Can they look at a, a freaking set, a, a huge Boeing airplane and wipe it completely, the signal, transmission, they could just wipe it out? That's how powerful they are. And if we don't have that answer, they probably are. They probably don't want us to know it. And you're probably not allowed to say anything. (laughs) So (laughs) we're just going to leave it there. Yeah. Is it possible? Anything is possible. I don't. I don't. I do not. I do not doubt the sophistication of our Navy, our Air Force, by any stretch of imagination. Seriously. I, I mean, I've never... I personally have never been on board at AWACS. Mm. Mm. I've seen them. I've seen them from the mm-hmm. outside. I'm aware of some of their capabilities. I don't really, honestly, I can't say yes or no to that answer. I'm good, and I probably wouldn't even after if I this. Did. After the story, <laughs> I am going to do two things. One, I'm going to research what the hell an AWACS looks like 
I need to see one of these planes because I I think I know what you're talking I about. I, I think I, I have some pictures. I think I have some pictures. Yeah, like a satellite dish. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a gray and white plane. Yep. What do you think happened? Oh Lord, I if okay. So if the debris was planted, mm-hmm. it's not like they just appeared, right? Just one day, all of this debris started showing up. Right. They had to have been placed somewhere. Whatever, whether maybe it was miles off land to make its way to land, but somebody had to have seen it. You know what I mean? Somebody yeah. had to have seen this plane dropping a variety uh, of debris in, you know what I mean? Right. Like that was, that's suspicious. Like I, I'm thinking like, you know, the big C-130s that drop cargo, you know, down. Like, right. you're going to see something, I don't know, maybe, maybe they were t- far enough out. Unless you are a, you know, a military grade well, I don't know the different planes that the military has, but maybe it's some type of stealth military thing that you can kind of go sweep and drop it and move out. Just sprinkle some evidence maybe. around and get the hell out of there. <laughs> I, I don't, <laughs> don't know. So there's some things that I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't see that being feasible without somebody actually seeing it. They, either way, everybody is being mm-hmm. very specifically vague. Mm-hmm. It's specifically vague. Like, there are very real things happening here. I don't but know why they were, uh, other yeah, than the, what was know. on the military radar, by the way, it took them a couple days to release that, remember? So they wasted time and resources in the Southern China Sea yeah. before announcing that it had uh-huh. done this U-turn. I don't, I'm not convinced there's nothing in the South China oh, Sea. Oh, you think there is? You think the plane is there? My, I'm I'm not convinced there's there's not. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, is it possible that there's not? Sure, but prove it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you think the plane was fired upon, like eliminated Possibly. as a threat? Oh. I do. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that it was, I don't know if it's over this equipment. I mean, it's quite possible. I, I do know that there's programs out there to protect our technology from yeah. getting into the, you know, the hands of the enemy, essentially. Yeah. Which they will do very sneaky things to I, get it. I bet. Yeah. That's so I don't I don't know that that would be a reason to shoot. Like I don't possibly, but I don't I don't know. I think it was shot down. This this so. story leaves more questions because now I'm thinking about it. Because now <laughs> after this, I'm gonna go immediately go to. Is it on Netflix now? Yeah. And I could probably yeah. YouTube a lot of like clips yeah. from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can. Oh, I got it. So I will also say that. I there's so too much out there. There is. I did a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a two part series. It's a two part story. Mm-hmm. But I not humanly possible to I, take it all. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then be able to regurgitate and spit it out back to you. So right, it's not everything. So don't at me, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. Oh well, thank you for doing it's, that. In- it's crazy. Incredibly hard story that I would never be able to get my brain wrapped around. My brain would have stalled out on page two. Seriously, um, my brain is putt putting it. It's putt putting. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like putt 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 pitter patter. Ah <laughs> uh, well, pitter patter. Let's get at her. All right, well, because we don't want to leave you hanging chatters for more information on this case, please check out After That Crime Chat, only available on our Patreon. And don't forget to follow us, Crime Chat with Nat and Kat, on our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter, or X. See what we got going on. Remember, Crime Chat with Nat and Kat, when you become a VIP chatter to our Patreon, you'll have bonus episodes, behind the scenes, bloopers, and free merch. So come check out some merch in the works for Season 3. Yeah! and check out our next episode it's the one before christmas yes (laughs) oh it's 
beginning to sound like Christmas. <laughs> you don't want to miss it. So we'll see you next time on the Great Chat. Bye. Bye.